Grown up, like I'm an anxious person, or I'm an inse- in, as a, a kind of insecure person, or vice versa. It could be I'm a, a kind of a little bit of an arrogant person. Mm-hmm. To like, notice that within our own mind, within our own self, is not easy thing to do, and that's the work. Mm-hmm. It's not fun to do at first, but over time it becomes kind of fun in a certain way. Because you know you're about to make yourself happier. You're listening to the Madeline Moon Show, a dating and relationship podcast that will bloom open your wild expression, deepen your emotional range, and expand your capacity for mythic love. Jaidev Singh is a yogi, mystic, and internationally renowned teacher. He is the founder of Life Force Academy LFA, a global school for the yogic arts with students in over 120 countries. His work encompasses multifaceted trainings in kundalini yoga, Ayurveda, and yogic astrology, forming the cornerstone of LFA's substantive approach to dharma practice. Hey, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here today. (laughs) Thanks so much. So fun to be here. Yeah. Yeah. So I discovered you, I mean, I think it was probably... Probably now, three years ago, mm-hmm. uh, I had a friend that was kind of doing some mentorship with me and was like, you have to start doing the prosperity mornings here with Jai Dev. Oh, cool. And I had done a few different kundalini online practices before, yeah. and I would go through these seasons of entering and being like, yes, the prosperity 40-day commitments, I'm getting into this. And they were always so epic, really epic. But when I found yours, there was something so unique in your artistry Mm. that made the whole experience, like you entered this like yogic portal of beauty, Mm -hmm. which I found like was so, it was so like nourishing in a way. And like, um, I felt filled up on multiple levels. And then I, I left it for a bit of time. And then last year, I was going through a pretty deep grieving portal when I was actually separating from my partner who mm. I'm I'm with again. Oh wow. But we were separating mm-hmm. and um we used to we used to watch your stuff together. Uh-huh. And then I was like, I'm not gonna do <laughs> right. so that was his thing, it's not my thing. Because it was always kind of motivated by him. Sure. But I was like, you know what? Actually I really feel called to like step back into um his sphere like for my own practice, myself. Mm. And your work and your classes held me through such a deep, so it's like such a deep time of winter. Mm. Like it was actually winter, winter mm-hmm. in my heart. And I grew to form my own like deep bond with you and like your work and your teachings and what you're doing is so, um, it's so special and how grounded it is, yet how ancient it is. So mm. I'm really grateful for everything that you do. Uh, thank you. Thanks for, mm. so much for uh, <laughs> saying all that. That's so mm-hmm. lovely to hear. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love doing it, you know, and it's, I work, and also I work with so many wonderful creative people mm. uh, that are part of just our crew that helps make all of those, you know, special. But yeah, it's born out of, Really, what I've been doing my entire adult life, mm. it just kind of caught me, mm-hmm. and as an eighteen-year-old, and uh, wow. yeah, I grew up in the southeast of the of the U.S. Bible Belt as a Jewish kid, and then, mm. um, and uh, but then when I 
uh, turned 18 because there's really no yoga in the Southeast at that point. What's the Southeast? Where were you? South Carolina. South Carolina. Okay. Yeah. And nothing, you couldn't find yoga studios really around where I lived or anything. And then I, but I went to, I was, went to school in Tennessee near Nashville in the recording industry working with I've, I'm a music person and I've always been a music person even in Life Force Academy as you experience mm-hmm. uh, some of my favorite uh, part some of my favorite things of what we're doing is the music we're yes. creating yeah and um, and just how evocative it is and how helpful it is to like facilitate meditative states and healing states you know because mm-hmm. when we're all going through difficult things whether you're coming together in a relationship or you're separating in a mm-hmm. relationship, these are like the tide coming in and the tide going out. Mm. This is life, you know? And um, and the circumstances of life are unpredictable. But what we can always do is kind of take care of our inner world that that is always interacting with the circumstances mm. of life. And that's what that, to me, is like what it's all about is like making sure that my inner world is it remains rich. Mm-hmm. And that takes work. That takes constant yeah. work, you know, constant work just to stay connected to it, you know. Mm-hmm. But then I don't know how you experience it, but my experience is that eventually that work is like really, it is work. Like even, you know, I do some practice every day and have as a, pretty much as long as I, mm. uh, as I can remember. And, and it's still, there's a part of it that is work, like working out, like going to the gym, but mostly it's like a love affair, mm-hmm. you know, it's just something I love. And yeah. it's the, it's always when I eventually get myself to do it. And even to this day, I still like to procrastinate and like. Your practice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, you know, I just like to, um, you know, wait till the last moment sometimes <laughs> until I only have enough time. But then I'm always like, what? why did I do that? Because it always ends up being the best part of my day. Mm. And then I and I still want to keep going when it's last ah, time I got to go, though, because mm. it's householder work. It's like meditation practice. But for people who live in the world, people who are uh, entrepreneurs or have a job or are go, give, coming into a relationship and you want to do that in your best self, you know, or you're splitting up, you know, having a separation and you want to do that in your best self, mm-hmm. you know, and, and all of that. So just staying connected to who we are and what our and creativity and, yeah. you know, the good things in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I also love so much how creativity is such an important piece of Kundalini. Mm. And at least the, the way that I hear you mm-hmm. talk about Kundalini, it's yeah. like your the that's what life force is. There's so many ways that we look at life force, like our emotion is life force, our mm. elation and our anger and our sexuality and our creativity. It's like all of this life force. All of it. Yeah. We don't really... As a society, like we're not, most people are not grown up to learn how to um, harness it, hold it, circulate it. And mostly it's about discharging it. Like, I don't want to feel this anger. How do I make it go away? Or I don't want to feel this desire. How do I make it go away? Or longing or pain and grief. And one of the things I've really experienced from any kind of yogic practice, anything that teach teaches me how to be with my breath is how I learn to be a container, to hold 
instead of just legally discharge mm. or like trying to get something mm. out of my life. It's like, oh, actually, this can be a source of nectar for me. Mm. If I learn how to take it in even deeper, if I learn how to expand it even farther, um, which I feel like you can just experience so much of that in one practice that stretches you in your breath just a little more than you're you're comfortable with. Mm. And one of my one of my edges of growth right now in when I'm doing the practices is like your end portions where you have one specific posture that's held for a long period of time. Yeah. But- By that point I'm like, oh, Wow, I got his dishes. You know? <laughs> it's like that's the edge. It's like the activity of of breathing and doing the breath practices when they're like fire and there's heat and there's movement yeah. and doing this and this and this. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. All. But then we get to the point where it's like, you know, the one movement or being more in the it's stillness. more like the meditation at the end. Yes. Yeah, but you're in a posture. You might have a breath going on. Yeah. 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 And it's towards the end. It's like mm-hmm. the perfect spot for that more still practice to be mm-hmm. at the same time that it's like the hardest spot for it to be because you're like, oh, like I'm right there to almost being complete. And now I, the practice really begins, mm. like dropping in even deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you think that that's a thing for students? Have you noticed? Well, I think, I think generally, yes. Specifically, I think it's different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Is my experience, and I've all along I've had people come up to me like after classes, and they'll tell me about some experience they're having, whether it's like something really cool or something they're struggling with, and they're almost always different, mm-hmm. you know, it's all, it's, they're almost always different. One person will, it'll be, this thing will be, bring them to that edge. Mm-hmm. S- yeah. Something else will bring someone else to that edge. But generally speaking, yes, mm-hmm. it's the same. It takes you, th- it takes us through some sort of kind of transformational process, really, where, where, it does often bring you to your edge, but that could be also, a, as as you know, a very subtle experience. When we say bringing us to our edge, it's like like you're thinking, oh, the dishes are over there. It's bringing you to an edge yeah. of really like your emotional body and the subtle body. What the yogis talk about, like a subtle body, because we're not just these physical, dense things. You know, we're we're electromagnetic. We have life force. Uh, chi, anytime any of us are going to the acupuncture and mm-hmm. needling and you walk out of there, you feel so good. Mm-hmm. It's because they're working with your chi, you know, your life force. These are, these are things that human beings have known about, you know, f- really since I just say time immemorial because mm-hmm. we t- and it gets like put into like new age and it's not new age. It's been around far longer than modern medicine. Modern medicine's amazing, but it has a long way to go in its understanding of the subtle nature of the human being. And that's what yoga, the yogis in the uh, Southeast Asia, the Eastern wisdom traditions, you know, held and took care of, not exclusively, but, but because all over the world, ancient peoples knew about all of these things, mm-hmm. but it was really well preserved in these systems you know, of, uh, for instance, yoga and, and various other ones. And so you, it, we're going to our edge in also the subtle type of way that opens up things that often aren't as easily accessible to us when we stay in the ordinary thinking mind. Mm. 
And that's what I love about Kundalini yoga. It seems to kind of pop open the subtle field. Mm -hmm. And that helps the radiance shine, I think. And that's what the Mm. Kundalini yoga teachings talk about is, is when you work with your life force like that, and when you open up its channels, because they talk about how there's like 72,000 channels through which the chi, the life force moves through the human body, mind, and but three are most important. The three that are the central channel of the spine, of a, that that is the subtle correlate of the spine, and then the two channels that spiral around and end up at your left and right nostril. So human being, mm. human organisms, very sophisticated thing. And to kind of tap into its sophistication by opening by opening up the channels. They say the channels aren't even there till the prana starts to flow. It's kind of quantum in nature, mm. you know. And and it gives us such a clarity, you know, and we feel we're connected more to how uh, we can feel like the true voice of our heart. Mm. And we can get in the real river current of what our life is all about, because all of us have the natural river current of our life. And we're all just trying to get in that flow of it, mm-hmm. whether we're cognizant of it or not. Mm-hmm. We're trying to feel happy. Yeah. And to feel happy, you have to feel meaningfulness in life. And, and when we lose sense of meaningfulness and, me- and purposefulness, we become more depressed and anxious. And so the work is staying connected to that, but the joy is being connected to that. So it's mm. both work and it's, it's joy. You know, it's not just, oh, I got to do this to make myself better. No, the whole thing is you're already good, but it's tapping into that goodness, mm. you know, making that be, you know, accessible. You use the word purpose. And mm. this has been something that I've, I haven't like really questioned mine. Yeah. Like my whole life, I've, I felt, I always felt clear. Yeah. Even if it was changing, I was clear. Mm-hmm. Would go from here to here, and and every time though it was like, "This is my purpose. This is what I'm doing. This is like, I live here now. This is all I do." And I've entered this state of my life for just really the first time where I don't know. It's like it's, it's like this really juicy, dark, cocoony space of like, wow, I feel that my what brought the purpose, the the source of the purpose, like the, if we were to look at purpose as a thing, mm-hmm. you know, which I think is beautiful in some ways, it might be a mistake in other ways mm-hmm. of thinking it is the mm-hmm. thing, um, you know, that I'm transitioning into this time of my life where I've talked about this on the podcast already almost every episode mm-hmm. moving more into the red the chapter of motherhood like mm. feeling like this chapter of okay like my the way i felt purpose before about what i'm here to do and build it's like oh actually purpose is like a child like bringing baby mm-hmm. and like nurturing baby mm-hmm. and things like that um so anyways all of this to say the the word dharma i feel gets used just a lot and mm-hmm. i use it a lot mm-hmm. in my teachings and i think that there's a a deeper like understanding of dharma that maybe i don't grasp or that people don't grasp mm-hmm. thinking that dharma is like purpose and maybe they're mm-hmm. different and so i'm i'm just curious your thoughts on that yeah how you talk about those things yeah well yeah, it's a great thing to talk about um, because dharma, you know, there's many meanings for the Sanskrit word dharma in many different contexts in which it's used in 
different traditions, but they're all connected. It's all the the greatest meaning of dharma is, is reality, and it's mm. reality itself. It's a but some pointing at some sort of like supreme reality mm. versus our relative reality. And relative reality is where all the things exist. You know, when you say, I'm not sure if purpose should be a thing, like as a yoga teacher is a thing, to be a yoga mm -hmm. teacher, to be a mother is a thing. Mm -hmm. Well, I do think the things are expression of purpose. And, and as you were pointing out, we have different seasons of our life. And in some seasons of our life, it'll be bringing a, a child into the world and raising a child. That's a big season. And that in of itself is Definitely dharma for the person who is involved in that. Mm -hmm. How do you know? I always used to say, was, how do you know if you have a dharma for a children? Like, do you have kids? Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> then yes. <laughs> that makes total sense. And, and so, but I like to really think of, I think as you were alluding to, is dharma is this, it's this bigger river stream that, that is, you cannot put it in a box. You can't, it's not a career. You know, real dharma is not a career. And I, in the, in, I think the modern world, Western world, modern world, I think we tend towards thinking about purpose with career orientation. Yeah. Especially the, the, like Capricorns like me, you know, mm. think, think career oriented, or at least we start out that way. That's what's interesting about astrology. It's just showing your starting point. Like this is kind of how you're wired. But it's not an ending point necessarily. We're all we are all like blossoming into actually who we actually are. Mm. We're not stuck or static. You know, we can shape it. And um, so I think of dharma <clears throat> as the purposefulness in of life. And everybody does have some unique purpose, some unique like we're all designed a little bit differently. My likes and dislikes are a little bit different than yours. You know, mm -hmm. our talents and our weaknesses are all a little different, but that's also how we connect with each other is uh, sometimes we connect each other with each other because, you know, we're the same, like we have this in common. Other times we connect with each other because, oh, we're so different. Oh, you're good at that. I couldn't imagine being good at that, mm -hmm. you know, and vice versa. And so we all have this unique I think of us as like, we're all like unique instruments, like musical instruments. I think of like something like Kundalini yoga practice is how you tune your instrument. Mm. But it's not, it's not like, I don't think of it like self-improvement in that there's something that really needs improving. Ultimately, relatively, yes, my mind needs improvement. My, the habits that, I, that the narratives and the tendencies of my mind and my emotional body, my emotions and my desires, those in, in some areas need, need work and transformation. Mm. And the ones that need work and transformation are the ones that I've identified are causing me uh, misery causing me suffering. For instance, whatever patterns that are there that are perpetuating maybe insecurity tendency. And, and so those tendencies have, if, we, if any of us, we might've like grown up, like I'm an anxious person or I'm an in, as a, a kind of insecure person or vice versa. It could be, I'm a, a kind of a little bit of an arrogant person. Mm -hmm. And, and, to to like notice that within our own mind, within our own self, is not easy thing to do, yeah. and that's the work. Mm -hmm. It's not fun to do 
at first. But over time, it becomes kind of fun in a certain way because you know you're about to make yourself happier with enough practice and work. And, 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 and also, where it's not some like, there's no criticism that is ha- happening. It's not some self loathing process.、Mm. It's recognizing that actually what obstructs my experience of like this really fantastic me is, is my kind of、uh, mind and emotional tendencies that are causing me to suffer and are causing others to suffer too. And I have to be real about that.、Mm. That if I'm. The emotional tendencies that are causing me to suffer also add suffering sometimes to others. And then you feel compassionate about that. Yeah. Because suffering is real. We're all suffering. And if I can remember that, not just remember it philosophically, intellectually, but re- you remember it in your body, you feel your suffering. And then you can feel others suffering. And whether it's someone that's like, say, you're going through a separation and you remember that both is suffering, that's hard sometimes because you're really consumed by your own. Yeah. And then that other person is also like seemingly perpetuating your own suffering. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But to remember that the suffering is a mutual thing.、Mm. And then, if I have compassion for my own suffering, I always feel like that's the starting point is, is with compassion, which compassion to me is the most essential thing on this, this spiritual path.、Mm. And for this very reason, starting with a transformation of our own mind, is that in order for me to be real about my own tendencies, I need to be compassionate towards myself.、Mm. Otherwise, it's too, it's too hard, it's too edgy, there's like self criticalness. And, the, and you lose all the softness. And so, so when first is, first is compassion for myself, then that becomes very natural to extend it to others.、Hmm. And then I can transform. I can transform the patterns because inside of compassion is also wisdom. It's not just the feminine, it's also the masculine.、Hmm. And it's both, always. And they, the Buddhists call that the, the bodhicitta, they call it the two wings of the same bird wisdom、mm. and compassion. Because、oh, without wisdom, then compassion can be codependency.、Mm. You need、yeah. wisdom to set boundaries, you need, need wisdom to know, know how to kind of develop oneself, to be able to set enough of a boundary there so that I'm taking care of myself.、Mm. And taking care of、uh, my own predicament so that I have the capacity to,、uh, to, to really live in that river current of purpose, of Dharma.、Mm. And so, I, so that's, what, that's why it's nice to talk about Dharma, because it、yeah. gets you on this <clears throat> flow of talking about love and compassion、mm-hmm. and, and all the things that when we keep alive in our life, it, life is very beautiful. It doesn't have to be this facade spiritual thing. It does, people don't have to feel like they need to change really anything. It's just becoming more of ourselves、mm-hmm. and letting that. Letting that take over, you know,、mm-hmm. but that takes that will make you do courageous things. Yeah, I really love those that like the wings because、mm-hmm. I noticed that there is a tendency, particularly right now, with 
buzzwords slash not just buzzwords real, but like also buzzwords of narcissism and mm. borderline disorder. And mm. it's like everyone who has done wrong mm-hmm. has this label. Yeah. Not for everybody, but you know, because of the work that I'm in, I, I hear a lot of this of like um cutting certain people out of people's lives because they have a tendency to be narcissistic or a tendency to be this or a tendency Mm -hmm. to be that. So like, I can't talk to my dad anymore. I can't talk to him anymore. I can't talk. All these reasons to create very, very, um, very, very thick, dense Mm -hmm. uh, rules or boundaries. And I think I've had my own journey, a very deep one. And, and, you know, through the lens of karma and dharma, I can so see why I chose my family system. I can Mm. so see it all. Mm. And I had to go through a period of time where there was a lot of very thick boundaries to not talk to this family member, this family member for healing. I don't take any of that back. It was so important. Um, Could I have used more compassion? Yes. Um, and then, and then there were periods where I had, uh, I had like compassion, but very few boundaries. Mm. And so really learning now as I've gone through like a whole journey, a very, like very thick journey with, um, like, can I, like, can I trust this person? Can I trust myself? I didn't really receive those tools as a kid of like the compass to like know who to trust and who not. Mm -hmm. And for anyone who's had that in their life, it makes it very hard as an adult mm. to know who to choose or mm. who to trust. Right. And so it makes you not trust and choose yourself. And it gets things like very, very blurry. And I think that's for those who struggle with, um, like, is this person a narcissist? Can I trust this person? Can I not let them into my life? Like, th- I love this teaching right here around the compassion because the compassion for like them and whatever diagnosis you're mm-hmm. giving them extends to yourself and whatever struggle you're experiencing with mm-hmm. your own self around trusting yourself. Mm-hmm. Is that landing? Is that yeah, making sure. sense? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I, the thing is, you know, that whole f- discovery of, of who we are, sometimes it, that's narcissism comes out of that mm-hmm. and, and insecurity comes out of that, and but uh, with uh, narcissism is a state of suffering, and so to have compassion for if you're having if you're having some there's some relationship where you're experiencing narcissism, whether it's on your part or the other part or both, or you have to have the wisdom to know where to draw the boundary and to and to say and sometimes we need that for like you're saying like a season mm-hmm. you know there needs to be a period of time especially if it's somebody who is um we have deep 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 familial ties to like a father or a mother or a brother or a sister this is you know your blood family so there's deep karmas there and and yeah sometimes it's so bad that you have to be like have the boundary of not having that person in our life and then hopefully with some time that that can change if it's safe to change mm-hmm. but the thing about compassion is it's an it's in the privacy of our own heart and mind mm-hmm. yeah that's the most important part it's how are we relating to the this other person in our own heart 
to keep ourselves safe and to keep ourselves uh, being able to, however we decide for ourselves using our own wisdom, because we all have our own wisdom. Everybody has wisdom. Mm -hmm. And part of tapping into it is knowing that and trusting and learning to trust our intuition. Mm. That takes a little bit of practice, but it's nothing that we're developing that's extraordinary. You know, it's it's totally natural. Intuition is a natural part of the human psyche, a human organism. I say organism because I think when sometimes we say psyche or mind, we think like up here, the brain, but it's mm. the heart, it's mm -hmm. the body, it's everything. Mm. It's the whole thing. You know, that's what we are. We're like the human organism, the mind, the body, the organs, the tissue layers, the chi, the electromagnetic field, and the subtle body and the super subtle body. It's all an organism. You know, it's all us. It's all our mind. And the body is part of the mind. And so, so when we feel this, um, you know, even though I might have to set a boundary and not have that person physically in my life and I may have to cut off communication channels, I don't want it to change the, how the love in my heart is for that person. Mm, yeah. That's because that's, that, that is in the privacy of our, of our heart and mind is where it all counts the most. And I, I find that that's, at least for myself, where if there was any kind of boundary and then also like... Like I really struggled with, can you set a boundary and not have someone in your life and also still love them? That was very confronting to me. It's mm. not anymore. It mm -hmm. was for a very big period of time. Mm -hmm. Like, What does it mean if I still love this person mm -hmm. that I can't even have in my life? What mm -hmm. does that mean about me? Mm. Like almost as if that made me stupid. Mm. Like to love somebody in my life that wasn't treating me well. Sure. And like, you know, still love them. Mm -hmm. And so out of fear of being stupid right. and a fool right then i would also like okay boundary is set can't be in my life don't love don't, don't love you anymore <laughs> like trying to turn off and that's where my suffering really was i'm just really truly not understanding you can have a boundary and still like like what does that mean what does it mean i, mean, I didn't get it wisdom and compassion yes exactly <laughs> so I, I really love that teaching because yeah. it's like that is that is such a beautiful practice for anyone that is experiencing um, mistrust in their own picker, mistrust in like what they're doing, mistrust in their choices or people they have in their life or taking people out of their life. Because I know so many people moving through portals of that. And there's a way to do it that you are still deep in that space of love and compassion of, mm. like you said, in the inner heart. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Mm, so beautiful. I want to hear some more things about you. I want to hear about like uh, you said that you found this when you were 18. Yeah. Kundalini. Kundalini. Yeah, uh, yeah. What was that moment like? What was that journey like? Where were you in your life? Yeah, well, I had just I had just gotten to this university outside of Nashville, like I was saying. And, um, and you know, I had grown up in South Carolina. And so just kind of leaving, you know, leaving my parents home. But as a teenager, I was, I got into you know, it's like psychedelic as pretty young in life. And early in life, actually, when I was quite young, was quite, I think I had quite a lovely you know, childhood, relatively mm. speaking. But then as I became a teenager and trying to find my own identity, things became much more difficult, mm. at least in uh, the family context. And just a young person trying to search, find, like me, this person, who uh, trying to find my identity in you know the middle America of South Carolina, it was a bit of a journey. Did you have a beard? 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the beard started, you know, when I could grow it, really. Yeah, so and... not quite yet. What was it when you were 18? Uh, yeah, like 18. Oh, okay, great. You know, awesome. I, I think the last time I had shaved it, my mom uh, wanted for like my brother's wedding. And I was just like, you know, <laughs> like it was around that time. So, and I let it go ever since. Even before I knew anything, like I'd already had this inclination to like grow my hair. But also hippie, you know, so of course I did. (laughs) And I loved, you know, the dead and and reggae and Bob Marley and Burning Spear. These were my teachers, you know. This is, as a young person, that's where I found, you know, through, through music, really. And, and they're still my teachers. And, so, but then, yeah, when I got to this uh, university, I met this uh, met this other because we were there for like a recording industry program. So there's a lot of artists and interesting people there. And this guy invited me to his yoga class, and I didn't. He said his teacher was like driving in, and as I, I didn't know anything about. All I knew is yoga had something to do with like stretching, and it was somehow spiritual. Mm. And at that point, I was already definitely on a quite a search. I've always been spiritually mystically inclined you know i grew up jewish and uh and probably if there would have been more access to the mystical judaism at the time Hmm. you know i probably would have gone really deep into that but that wasn't the case i found that later and and but after you know i went through bar mitzvah all that type of thing like i didn't really have anything to do with you know religion at that point and but when I went to, so I went to this yoga class because, and and I think my dad had told me like once about the Dalai Lama and I had heard that and I had at that point been reading all the books of his that I could find. Mm. And, you know, I had come into contact like so many of us did with like Ram Dass, Be Here Now. And I had uh, read autobiography of a yogi at some point Mm. so many of us you know especially i think at that time i don't know nowadays with the way everything is so accessible because this is pre-internet uh and so we were catching it through books you know (laughs) hopefully people still are Mm -hmm. (laughs) i definitely am and um and so yeah, so anyways, I went to this class and it wasn't it was in his like he had a little house across the street from the campus and it was just in his backyard, you know. And nice. the, the teacher hadn't gotten there yet and it's like 45 minutes past when the class was supposed to start. Oh, wow. You know, we're just college kids just like sitting around and like the teacher hadn't come and finally this car pulls up and like these other like kids get out of the car first with like some djembes and guitars and stuff. And then the teacher gets out and and he's a real interesting looking character and and I do this class and I don't remember anything about it. It seemed like it, I remember it went on a long time. It seemed Mm. like probably easy two hours. And, uh, and I liked it enough. He was doing another class in the park in Nashville later that day in Centennial Park in Nashville, Tennessee. And I went to that too, like all in the same day. So I probably did like four or five hours of Kundalini yoga. The first time I ever tried anything like that. And it left an impression on me for sure. I was floating. I felt like I was floating, you know, just kind of like lightweight mm. in a in a subtle, but you know how that f- feeling is. I mean, it felt high. Mm. And at that point in my life, that was, you know, I was very much interested in <laughs> yeah. doing. And 
So it really got my attention. And then anytime that guy, that teacher would come around, I would go. But it was like once a month or something, he lived three hours away. And so he drove in. And then at the end of the class, he would pass a little basket around if anyone could give a donation. That's what it was. It wasn't going to a yoga studio, you know. But after a while, he was like, I couldn't, uh, you know, I did that for like a year. And I really got into Kundalini yoga. Like it was really grabbing me. And he was like, you know, I can't come. I can't come that often here and he said well you should when you can just lead the classes and uh, on the college campus so I, I started doing that and you know right away mm. it was working somehow you know and mm. I had no aspiration for this it just kind of happened I was trying to be pr uh, production I was trying to learn production in the recording industry and oh. and so uh, that just took a hold and I uh, kind of no longer was interested in studying what I was studying. And plus it was a university where you had to do all these like mm. other classes too. Like you still had to like do yes. algebra. Yes. And, um, I remember and, those days, 7 a.m. chemistry. And there's no part of me <laughs> that wanted to do any more of that. I'd already <laughs> gone through all the high school. I was like, get me out of here. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> and, so I, I, I ended up moving to Charleston, South Carolina to go. I was like, well, let me all do religious studies because I found like the chair of the religious studies department there had written a book on Kundalini Yoga. Mm. And me not really knowing much at that time didn't realize quite what that meant. And, and what it learned out is just like very academic study, which was cool. And I did have some great teachers there, but I just wasn't interested in non-experiential academic study. Hmm. So all along the while though, I'm teaching, you know, I opened a little, I hadn't done teacher training or anything. I opened <laughs> up a little studio in Charleston, South I Carolina. I love hearing this about you. Yeah. It's amazing. You just like went from taking these yeah. in the backyard to like teaching it. Yeah. Like, and it just worked and I loved it, you know, and I, and, and the thing about teaching is you learn so much and you know, mm. it really advances you so much also in the practice. Mm -hmm. If you do it well, that is, you know, with a humble heart and, and so, yeah, then also this is, I'm just trying to make it not too long of a story. As my teenage years also had like some uh, pretty difficult health challenges. So that's also kind of what was pushing me in that direction mm -hmm. of yoga and also Ayurveda because Ayurveda is the, you know, the great, great healing science of India and, and the ancient medical system of India and it's still nationally recognized medical system of India and the sister science of yoga. And so I started learning about Ayurveda and that really caught me. And so I moved to California. There was only really two Ayurveda schools in the country at that time. One was in New Mexico with the great, wonderful Vasant Lad and the other was in uh, Grass Valley, California, uh, Nevada City, California, where I live now. And so I, I loved the foothills of the Sierra Nevada, Northern California, and went to school there and I haven't left. I live mm. there still. Wow. It's a long time. Yeah. And yeah, uh, what, you know, like closer to 20, 24, 25 years now. And uh, I, um, Ayurveda really was studying Ayurveda, I learned was, was actually, it's the science of yoga. 
it's the the science of the elements of the body of the the all the things that yoga is developing is what ayurveda is developing they're just doing it through slightly different contexts ayurveda is a healing science so it's using it to heal the body to bring the body vitality where yoga at its heart is the spiritual side of it it is the transformation of the mind so that one can experience more and more of their true nature hmm. And uh, so anyways, Ayurv- by studying Ayurveda, it took me so deep into that, into, into the whole richness of this whole, of this whole thing. And, and it really explained Kundalini Yoga to me, which I didn't go for. I thought, you know, maybe I would do, be still, like, I don't know that I'm going to be teaching. Y- I'm, I'm just kind of going with the, the following the bliss, really. And so for a while, I did practice Ayurveda, like, clinically. I helped to run the uh, Panchakarma Center at the college, California College of Ayurveda for a number of years, which is uh, the famous uh, cleansing system, cleansing and rejuvenation system. People travel from all over to do Panchakarma. It's a multi-day thing, extraordinary. So I learned so much of this great stuff, but I just love teaching. I all, And that never that always just got stronger and still today gets stronger and stronger is that's what I love to do the most is Mm. to teach. And Mm. so, um, Hello, my sweet friends. We're going to take just a very quick pause in the podcast. I hope you've been enjoying this episode so far. And what I wanted to share with you today is that I have been working on a brand new program for those of you who have been wanting to manifest your king. If you have been wanting to create a partnership full of depth and play, full of deep devotion and ritual and sacredness, but also fun and expansion and travel, and you just want it all. If you're a woman who wants it all, you probably want a king. You most likely are done with the man-childs and the Peter Pans, and you want something real, something sustaining, something long-lasting that's going to actually expand who you are as a woman. This is my newest, deepest, biggest passion, is to help women manifest the king of their dreams. There is nothing like it. There is nothing like finding your match in this lifetime. You think you have it so good right now, and you probably do, because a queen has it real good, and you know that there are places that you can be so much more. There's so much more still left available to live, to experience, to enjoy. It's not that where you're at right now doesn't offer that. It does for sure. I'm sure. And having a king is going to deepen everything tenfold. So if you're interested and manifesting the king of your dreams. I'm working on a program, and at this time, what I'm going to do is include a link at the bottom of the show for you to be able to put your name on the wait list for this program. It's not out quite yet, but we are well on our way to launching this, and I'd love to be able to get this just in your line of sight. So if you want, just look down in the podcast show notes and you'll see a place to sign up for the waitlist. Very easy. Just name and email. And as soon as this is available, you will be the first to know. All right, let's get back to the episode. I've been doing that mm. ever since. Wow. Yeah. What a beautiful yeah. organic journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I love hearing stories where people don't set out to, I'm going to do yeah. make this happen. And then life is like pulls you into yeah. it. Yeah. And- yeah. So, um, 
One of the things you talk so beautifully about is prosperity. Mm. And I imagine, I'm just making up, that uh, learning how to create what you've created has taken time and uh-huh. belief and love as it is for any business owner mm-hmm. that's doing both online and also in person. Mm-hmm. And I, this question actually comes from my partner because oh, I was cool. like, I'm going to talk to him about prosperity. <laughs> nice. And he was like, I do have a question I want to ask. Oh, great. Because um, he met you back in the day. He was curious, what was the, what was like the, the thing you did that really clicked in prosperity and ease in your, in your work world? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, because I have only known it since I've seen what you've built mm-hmm. now with the music and mm-hmm. the studio and the like offers that you make. You're you're putting out you have so much life force, it seems from afar. Yeah. When I'm watching, I'm like, wow. Like he's putting out this thing and this challenge and this thing, and there's just <laughs> so much, which I love. Like I if it feels so active and available yeah. and alive. Yeah. But it you know, as anybody knows who's created anything, like it takes a while to get to that place mm-hmm. and to that place where you have many students joining from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Was there a thing mm. kind of clicked into place mm. in your prosperity world mm-hmm. or something that you did or a new belief that you created, something that mm. was like different from there was a before and an after? Yeah, I think there's been, um, I think there have been, I don't know if there's one, I think along the way there have been those things yeah Yeah. one thing was to just what i like to always think of is like put all the horses facing in the same direction Mm. Uh, i have my gemini moon so i tend to like i need to have i need to have many irons in the fire and not to just be doing one thing i get a little uh you know bored if it's just one thing so just my nature as a with that that Gemini nature is to have multiple things going and was to keep when I really was like, all right, even especially in the business context or in the career context, because he's doing a little of this, doing a little of that. It was like, all right, what is the real thing? Mm. At least what's the thing that is, 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 is really producing the most energy, whether that's the thing that's making the most money, the thing that's really filling you, filling me up the Mm. most and really focus on that Mm. and so that was part of it especially early on but that that was a multi once I realized that I want to do that and I need to do that and that's how to concentrate the chi because even the businesses are organisms a business entity has its own kind of life force is my experience and you have to nurture and take care of it and direct it well and if you know that's you see it actually on the spreadsheet at the end of the year you can see Mm -hmm. how much energy came in and how much energy went out in the form of numbers yes but money it's not a physical thing money's an energy circulation Mm. and and so then it took a number of years to actually be able to functionally do that because still still have have to to keep this work over here even though it's not really what i want to be doing full time it's mm-hmm. what's you know paying the bills but it was it was 
once I really decided and then became able to focus on one thing and mm. to really devote myself to nurturing that tool, it, it can get to a point where it can stand on its own two feet, mm. you know, and thinking about things like that, I think changed a lot for me. And also realizing the other thing would be uh, uh, a niche will make you rich mm. and, and, Love it. <laughs> and focusing at first, uh, specialization in something. So for instance, if like a new yoga teacher, um, take all these uh, young teachers, they're not always young people or relatively in age, but people of all ages, but people who go re newly through teacher training. That's why I'm always telling them, those who want to teach classes and want to start to make a bit of a, of a career out of it, focus who can you serve uniquely because it's all about service this whole thing and it and it's it whether it's about my own personal happiness whether it's about the business success etc it's all about can i orient my heart towards service mm. and how can i help others and how am i uniquely positioned to help others and so some people they're uniquely positioned to talk to pregnant women mm. People, women who are about to give birth to a, a young baby, hmm. a critical moment of, of two people's lives, mm -hmm. you know, and more, but two main people, the mother and the child. Hmm. And, and that's it. So there's a niche or whatever it is. And so when you can find a way to, to really, I th concentrate the energy in a specific way, it has it starts to penetrate, and then out of that, new things will blossom and open up. Mm. Like for me, at first in the world of Kundalini Yoga, early on, people knew me as the Ayurveda guy. I didn't try to make that happen, but that's what I was into mm. was Ayurveda, and so it was like specialization within the world of Kundalini Yoga was Ayurveda. That just kind of happened, but I noticed it, and and that then it starts to get a momentum around something. So I think, mm. in terms of prosperity, um, it's the key. Two keys, at least, are uh, service orientation, genuinely. Yeah, you know, how do you really like? How do you feel inspired to help? Mm -hmm. How do you feel inspired? And there's all sorts of ways to help. Making music is a way to help. A big one. You know? And so following one's inspiration with a way of how do I uplift life? That's creativity. Mm. How can I add to life in a way that I feel inspired by it? Then that inspiration transfers. And, and it transfers to whoever it is you're serving. Mm-hmm. And and then specialization. Try to find yeah. something at first. I think it creates like a spear, mm -hmm. specialization, and then you like can penetrates, mm -hmm. and 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 then you people feel you. They feel you. They yeah. feel connected to you, and uh, then it keeps going, and you keep following the inspiration. <laughs> okay, so I've got another question. Okay, um, what are your thoughts about? Being in this world of service, which I agree, um, it's like really being in the heart of service. And I think that 
how you serve um, can change. And I, that might be a, a, tri- a place that trips people up if mm-hmm. they've been doing something for a Definitely. while. Um, it will change. It, yeah. And yeah. I think being awake whenever it mm-hmm. does is, mm-hmm. is really valuable. But what do you say about compassion fatigue? Compassion Have you fatigue, heard of this? Yeah. yeah. It's like it's like fatigue from from being of service. Yeah. And and helping people. And then there's some it's like your cup, you know, the mm-hmm. cup being empty. Mm-hmm. But it's like chronic <laughs> chronic emptiness of like, you know, holding people's frustrations and fears and triggers and projections and especially in the coaching space and yeah. world, there can be there can be a lot of, you know, when you do these intensives with people, you really, especially if you're doing like, like group work and mm-hmm. these relational fields, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm talking because I've experienced this before. Yeah. I'm just like, I like, wow, I, you know, I'm, I'm having a hard time really caring because mm-hmm. I feel, I feel tired. Night, 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 night for a season. Yeah. Um, and sometimes at the same time, like you want to help. And it's just just this kind of hard thing where it's this genuine, when I was 18 and I started doing what I did, it was like, that's all I wanted to do was support and help and help and help. I was like, who can I help? And I went right into anorexia support, (laughs) like helping people with one of the most challenging things I could think of. I understood because I had my own eating Mm. issues. And since then, you know, I've I've niched in, in so many ways, but I've realized that um, I've gone through periods of compassion fatigue mm-hmm. where it's it's hard to support and serve genuinely because I'm, um, for whatever reason, like kind of exhausted. Yeah. Yeah, that's when we have to turn that compassion to ourselves mm-hmm. and uh, and take care of ourselves. And if if one has the ability to, you know, it's we're fortunate if we're in the position where, we can step away and take right. care of ourselves. You know, if we live a life like that, which, you know, I'm fortunate to have a life like that. I don't have, I don't live somewhere where, you know, it's, it's wars happening or there's mm-hmm. people suffering from famine, which many places in the world are like that. And I always try to keep that into perspective, even though I struggle to do that because it's not my reality. And so if we do, but I think of that in general, if we do have the ability to nourish ourselves and nurture ourselves, we must. Mm -hmm. And we have to take care of ourselves and find a way in to make sure that we're being compassionate to ourselves. And that can also just be an inner experience if nothing else. Maybe we don't have the ability to take a sabbatical, you know, or even take a bath. Mm -hmm. But we can always have compassion towards ourselves by just acknowledging our own predicament mm-hmm. and acknowledging that if if I don't if I'm having compassion fatigue, so to speak, then I myself am suffering mm. and and need and am very much deserving of my own compassion, mm. compassion for my own body, compassion for my own predicament. And and sometimes you don't know the answer to anything and compassion for that. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what to do. You just need to cry, you know, or you yeah. need to lay down and and then reassess things. Mm-hmm. But first go through that grief, you know, go through that grief without trying. And women, feminine in general, is so much more, you know, developed at this mm-hmm. than us fellas are. 
but even some of us fellows are learning. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a beautiful answer, I think. It's yeah. like so important just with everything that happens in our world and everything we are bearing witness to and everything yeah. um, supporting like our friends and then yeah. our partners and our parents. And yeah. like, it's just so much that is asked of us. Yeah. And it's fatigue of our body and mind though. It's yeah. actually not fatigue of I, I the semantic I understand, mm. but it's not really fatigue of compassion. Yeah. You I, know was, I, mean? I was hoping you were going to like, yeah. so I was like, this is a funny phrase. Yeah. Yeah. No, you, the but... actual, if you're talking about, Karuna, if you talk about compassion, mm. it doesn't fatigue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But human bodies and minds fatigue. Yes. And so our ability to kind of be good vehicles for that compassion, maybe. But that's why we need the wisdom side of it. The wisdom, because it's, it's bodhicitta. It's, it, if you think about it like that, it's not, it's not empathy mm-hmm. even. It includes empathy, but it transcends empathy. Mm. Uh, real, real compassion. It's full of wisdom. It is, it's the womb in which the entire universe is held mm-hmm. from the perspective of the yogis, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. And the Buddha. Mm. And, and so it is like the very thing that turns the mother's blood into milk mm-hmm. to nurse her child. It's the very thing, you know, they would say that like causes the breeze, the cool breeze to come across your skin on a super hot day, you know, or a warm fire on a very cold day. You know, it's the very kind of life force. It's the very sustenance of the universe, Mm. love, wisdom, and compassion. And so that's why I was like, well, compassion fatigue, but it's the human fatigue. Yeah. It's just our, our, we get worn down, you know, we're tender vulnerable creatures, mm-hmm. you know, doing our best. And sometimes we need a nap. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, one of the things they often remember and think about is that this is an insanely new experience for humans to have at any moment in time, this little tiny device, yeah. billions no of kidding. people that are like, yeah. you know, yes. I was talking to John last night, like, you know, just ha- having like a crying vent about mm-hmm. like, like, it is so hard to receive people's online projections for so many years. Yeah. And sometimes it's <laughs> no important kidding. to recognize it. Yeah. Of like, wow, I've been like, I've been taking bullying for a long time and also deep praise and sweetness and kindness. And like the business because of the online world yeah. is amazing. Like what, what we can have. Absolutely. But wow, yeah. <laughs> the fact that we are able to like read the things we read about ourselves or like, yeah. you know, have people just disagree for no reason with you yeah. and argue with you or, Mm-hmm. And and then, you know, it's become the norm to like have that and just delete it and go about your life. But then there's these moments where I'm just like, wow, I sh- can't believe like just what it's what what it is, is not just my experience, though. It's like tapping into this universal sensation that's happening all across the globe of how everyone is connected to billions all at one moment. And what what is that going to do to our bodies in years to come? Like, are we going to evolve in some way of like, is our shape going to change mm. because of this? Like, mm. I don't know. This these questions that I have about what what this specific thing, the access. Mm. That, yeah, they're that highly, highly, highly connected. Highly connected. Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, like you said, it's it's not negative or positive, actually. There's negative aspects and positive aspects, and those are up for debate depending on what you who you're talking to and how they think about it. But certainly, to me, it's very positive in the sense of of well it's both simultaneously positive and and negative because to be able to be exposed to all the the terrible things that are happening in the world is important you know mm-hmm. it's important if there is a suffering mm-hmm. uh to if whenever possible to try to do something about it mm. however then we all feel helpless yes you know cuz what in the world can we do mhm and so then it's also overwhelming and then and and then furthermore you get this experience like i used this example the other night when i was teaching and cuz i've been a you know a deadhead most of my life and in the community of the grateful dead you know if you actually at a show you almost never meet anything but nice people deadheads are are you know just um you know famously good people, kind people, loving people, and cool people, very creative people of all types, you know, not just this kind of stereotypical hippie version of it, but uh, of all walks of life. But online, if you go into like deadhead communities online or even like pages on Instagram, these are some of the meanest folks ever, you know, wow. when, if you go into the comment thread, you know, they're just, Wild. it's just, it's like the same. And that, seeing it in that, because that's a relatively low polarization topic, mm. you know, the the assholes in the deadhead community <laughs> or whatever, <laughs> you know, versus if we were talking about, um, you know, uh, yeah. Israel-Palestine, mm-hmm. so that's, that's very difficult, mm-hmm. very polarized this is a great example because it just showed me it's like oh it's like this whole online world hmm. is not reality it's it's in this case it's some sort of kind of distorted version of reality whereas even if you act, if you have tremendous disagreements on really important matters with other people if you can actually talk to them in person you can normally get on the same page. Mm-hmm. You know, you, mm-hmm. you doesn't mean you agree, but you can you can not uh, have this type of uh, nastiness in that we're we're feeling in our hearts towards other people. In because as long as that intense polarization is there, that keeps us so edgy towards one another. That thing can tailspin and really get out of control, and I think that's one of the real kind of dangers happening in the in what we're experiencing as humans right now is that our it it's gonna it's gonna be fascinating to see how you know this plays out over the next decade really because things are like getting to like a bit of a fever pitch, and that's not sustainable. And that's not sustainable. That will, at some point, go through transformation, and and transformation sometimes can happen through implosion, and transformation can also happen uh, through much more gentle means. Mm-hmm. You know, transformation can happen uh, by you know becoming uh, like opening up of awareness, mm. and I I think there's total possibility 
that things are going to actually improve in really beautiful ways. But we all have to be a participant in that. And we all have to decide for ourselves that I'm going to make sure that I'm improving in really beautiful ways. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that'll then, then start, that's how we can help, you know, and, and of course other ways we can help too. And each of us will find our own ways to do that because we can't solve all the problems. So I have to figure out, all right, what are the ones that are most meaningful for my life Mm. and how can I give an appropriate amount of my life force to that? And, and then be confident in that. And then also, of course, there's so many, so many things. So I can have compassion towards everything, you know, and once again, in the inner private, the privacy of my own mm. mind and heart, that's the most important starting point. And that'll guide us on how we can help otherwise. But mo- but we have to take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. We have to. And uh, so it's all of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're such nuanced, multifaceted yeah, beings. Yeah, we, you know? we are. What are some of your best practices that you have, like, to stay in to stay in your practice, like throughout the day, mm-hmm. like do you are you boundaried with mm-hmm. social media? Mm-hmm. Do you take your daily walks? Yeah, um, I'm not so boundaried with social media, uh, but I'm pretty good at. I have to use it so much. Uh, I have to be kind of in such connected world for just the nature of my work yes so i'm pretty happy to be done with it when i can be Mm -hmm. whenever i get the (laughs) chance to be but i also enjoy it when i'm i'm using it and so practices um well i my morning practice is my yoga practice my meditation practice and it's i also think of it as this dharma practice and one thing i do and sometimes i'll do you know multiple times a day if I really feel like I need it is I work with what they call the four immeasurables or the four boundless attitudes. It comes from, Mm. um, it comes from the Buddha and, but also in in Patanjali's yoga sutras, the most important uh, text for uh, Raja yoga, also Patanjali gives the four immeasurables and that is what those are. And they're very practical the it first is boundless uh boundless love which is the wish to for happiness the second is boundless compassion which is the wish to be freed from suffering the third is boundless joy which is when there is happiness the wish that that increases hmm. so in other words where you find someone happy you get happy mm-hmm. you know you're happy for others being happy in other words and also in yourself, when you're finding some of your own happiness, you get is have these are practices. And the fourth is called boundless equanimity, in that you extend that beyond just your likes and dislikes. Mm. So how that can work, and how I use it, is when I I have uh, get up and I have my little ritual where I and I think rituals are important because rituals help us to carve out a little bit of time and space to do this type of inner work. Mm. And to the work of our hearts. So first, I just, again, start with myself before I'm trying to extend this to others. I, I just think to myself how much I, I want to be happy. I just recognize that. And I just take a moment to like actually feel how much I really want to be happy. 
and have the conditions for happiness. That's the other part of each of these. And happy is not just the pleasures are coming my way. Happy is regardless of pleasures and, and pains mm. that I'm experiencing a happiness that can stand the test of time. So the ha- so that therefore I must have the conditions for happiness. So I, I think about how much I want to be happy and how much I wish to have the conditions for real happiness. Those are not outer conditions, by the way. Mm. It's not, oh, I found my man or found my woman. You know, those aren't the condition. That's not what it's referring to. The conditions are regardless of if I found that or that I found it and then it goes away, which I've experienced, that the happiness swells in both mm-hmm. situations. How can that be? It's real happiness. Second is I think about how I am suffering and how I wish to not suffer. And, and so I wish f- to have freedom from suffering and the conditions for freedom for suffering. And then the third is I also count my blessings. I actually am pretty happy, <laughs> you know, and I'm like so grateful mm. and I'm so grateful for so many things. And even if you can start with you have some food to eat mm. or whatever, you can get very, start very simple. If you're not grateful for much of anything, you're grateful to what you, you're not dead. You're grateful that something, you got to find something and start there and focus on it and then more grateful things will show up. Mm. So you count your blessings and that wish is, how I say it is that cup, of, may that cup of overflow, may, may, that's joy. And then the fourth is boundless equanimity. And in this case, as I include all parts of me, all the parts of me that I like or I don't like or that I'm mm. insecure or like confident, all of it mm-hmm. is included in my wishes. You know, That's how I apply the boundless equanimity to me as a person, as my own individual. And then I go, then you go to others. And so the next part of this practice is then you think of somebody you love like tremendously, like you just find one person is all you need. Somebody you would like love so much that even the thought of them having to suffer will make your heart swell with mm. compassion and make you feel intense compassion if you, and the, the you know, tantric Buddhist practices, they'll even visualize, you know, their own mother and going through tremendous suffering, actually, mm-hmm. in order to arouse an intense feeling of compassion. They will imagine it? Yeah, yeah, even like past lives, like they'll imagine their mother in, as a deer in a past lifetime oh. being chased by the hunter. Wow. And then the hunter takes the arrow and, and pierces and then comes up to, to her and as the deer, mother as the deer with the knife and like, you know, slits the throat. And... That's very detailed. Yeah. Well, that's that is it. That's the practice. Well, that's one example wow. of wow. very intricate stuff. You know, there's a that's you know probably a very masculine way of going yes, about it. it. A lot is. of those are you know you know Buddhist monks mm-hmm. who are devout their whole life to arousing compassion, and so so that's but but the idea is there. You know, and the idea is simply to. You think of somebody first that you love, <laughs> like your own mother, your 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 you know beautiful animal friends like our dogs or our cats yes. or whatever. 
because maybe at the moment no humans are doing it for you. Mm-hmm. It, <laughs> the idea is just to connect to your heart mm-hmm. is all only thing we're trying to do right now. And to think of someone you love and even the thought of having them having them having suffered or have to suffer or them suffering makes you feel naturally compassion. Hmm. So first you think how much you wish them to be happy and to have the real conditions for happiness. And then you wish how much you wish they don't ever have to suffer and to have the conditions to never have to actually suffer. Hmm. And then, and that, of course, the conditions part, that takes you down the whole path of yoga. Because hmm. then you got to figure out what that is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the third is you, and then you think about how they are, do have some happy and they are so beautiful and they are, and you want that to overflow and you include all parts of them in that. Mm. And then just to tie this practice up, it doesn't take this long actually. Then you can, if you really feel good, you can think about an adversary. Mm. Because first, what what you've done now, because you went to that love, that beloved of yours and you went through it, now you got active compassion. Mm-hmm. Then you try to transfer it to someone you don't normally feel compassion for. Mm. And you wish for them to feel happy and have the, con- this is the where the work is. Because again, this doesn't mean you don't have wisdom about you. I've never let that person in my space, but I will wish them the conditions for real happiness because they would never be m- my enemy or anyone else's if they were truly happy. Because mm. yeah. we only cause other people suffering from our own suffering. Yeah. And I wish them to never have to really suffer because mm-hmm. they'll cease to cause me suffering and we'll both benefit. And then, I, and then wherever they have real happiness, some genuine real, when we say happiness, we mean genuine good heart, then that, may, that overflow. Mm. And so that's the boundless equanimity part is now you're extending your heart beyond your circle of resonance. And you're saying that I will have compassion to my enemy. My, if you don't want enemies, don't have friends. Two sides of the same coin. It's just everyone has some adversarial energy in their life. And sometimes more than others. Mm. Right? Yeah. Sometimes your own lover is your enemy for an hour. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or maybe sometimes even a couple days. You uh-huh. know, if it's some bad argument. Yeah. And then if you have this practice, you can try to, when you feel safe enough, you have to feel safe when you feel safe mm. in your heart to extend it towards an adversary. Mm. And that's a practice that I do on a daily basis. And it's just called arousing the bodhicitta. It's beautiful. Yeah. I remember the first time I ever um I ever like paired yoga with um compassion to the adversary. Mm. I was like I don't know, I was probably 24 and I was in a yoga class and we did a back bend. And in the back bend with your heart exposed, she said, if you want to say, I set you free, I set you free, I set you free to someone in your life that you're having hardship with, go mm. ahead and do that. Mm. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. I was like, you really, you really, you really. And I remember feeling like, wow, something just kind of shifted there. Yeah. And, you know, such a simple practice. And uh, I've, every time I go into a back bend now, there's like some kind of oh, offering cool. I want yeah, to do. That's yeah, beautiful. Yeah, heart is so exposed. And it's like, yeah, right. oh, I'm opening so much. There's a little bit of a pain, but it, like it feels good. And yeah, it does feel good. It's the, yeah. the pairing is so magical. Mm-hmm. We learn how to pair these moments in our body. Absolutely. So um, coming up on time here, yeah. I, have, I have just one more question. Yeah. just came up. So I guess 
I have to ask it. It's kind of a big one. Um, but whatever comes through you and, and your answer to this, I'm just very deeply curious what you would say. Mm-hmm. So there's this phrase that that a lot of people say, which is, I don't feel safe. Uh-huh. You just said, you're just talking about that. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm so curious. What What is that when we are, I mean, I know what it is that there's felt memory of the past, of something that wasn't safe. Yeah. But as adults, a lot of the times we are incredibly safe. It's more so that we're just feeling a feeling that we don't like Mm -hmm. and it makes us not feel safe. But a lot of times what I realize is that this this can be a crutch to not actually expanding. Like I don't feel safe. And so people choose not to, to, you know, ask out someone that they like or participate fully in a program or, um, you know, make funny sounds because it just doesn't feel safe. But the reality is, is that there's kind of a a prison that they keep themselves in Mm -hmm. based off of old memories or fears of the future. And perhaps in a, through a lens yogically, what what does it offer us when we learn how to create that safety in our bodies? Yeah. Well, I, yeah, that's a great question. And first of all, I feel like any of those types of, uh, things like I feel safe or feel comfortable, they're, they're not, they're not something we want to be stuck in in one way or another because, well, of course, we'd love to always feel safe and we can mm-hmm. develop that to a certain degree, I think, relatively so. Uh, however, when you can, it's easy. And I think when you say like kind of being in a prison of something, that's when now somehow we've kind of got stuck in a certain disposition mm-hmm. uh, where everything has its season. And so when you're actively involved in taking care of yourself, not feeling safe is never a permanent thing. Mm -hmm. It's something that is in process. Uh, If you go through something that creates like uh, tremendous grief, for instance, like, a uh, loved one passing away, uh, marriage ending. That takes a long uh, amount of time relatively to get to the point to where you feel safe enough to open up your heart again, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Yeah. But it should eventually happen, mm-hmm. you know, if we're taking care of ourselves, or at least we're endeavoring to make that uh, take place. So what yoga practice does, though, is it it really does put you home in your own body mm. if you use it that way. Now, there's a, there's the actual exercises and practices of yoga and kriyas of kundalini yoga. And I'm a pretty strong proponent of that. They do not do it themselves. They help facilitate some things them, themselves. But what they do really well is they help to, help to uh, um, facilitate a condition that allows us to do the work. The kriyas, you're saying? Kriyas, any practice, Mm. any yoga practice, meaning that, you know, well, let's talk specifically in like kriyas of kundalini yoga, whereas like this kriya is said to like bring uh, help the intuition or this kriya is to help with the flow of prosperity Mm -hmm. and so forth and so on. Kriya is like a... um... Kriya in this context, kriya, the word itself, it means, comes from the same root word that the word karma means action. Mm -hmm. But the kriya in this context 
all of the kundalini yoga practice is done within the context of what are called kriyas and they're either exercise sets or meditations or a combination of both mm. and they're how the practices are sequenced they're how the practices are designed and taught and and used and so so the kriya may absolutely at some level evoke somehow some flow of prosperity. I definitely do experience that. And definitely just doing the Kriya will certainly help my intuitive mind and open up that part, just the breath, the mudra, the hand positions. Uh, so there is some sophistication to it, definitely. Mm -hmm. However, to me, what the real Dharma practice is, what the real work is, and where the real prosperity comes from is being actively involved in our own inner transformation, being actively involved in opening up our hearts, being actively involved in not pretending like something else will ever do that for us. Mm -hmm. Plant medicine can't do it for me. Plant medicine can show me things. Plant medicine can open up channels. At the end of the day, we have to go through our own inner transformation. And so that these exercises, the practices of kundalini yoga, they definitely can facilitate an experience where if you really want to feel even supremely safe, you can. Hmm. because it will connect you into the deep reservoir of what this whole thing, what you really are, what this whole thing really is, and the things that used to make us feel unsafe will not have so much power over us anymore. Supremely safe. Yeah. I really love that. She who is supremely safe. That yeah, feels she, like a really beautiful yeah. um, essence to adopt. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think that the power of the Kriyas have, you know, I love what you just shared, that they mm -hmm. give you the capability and the conditions mm -hmm. to move forward. Just and like. even some Shakti and some magnetism, but that doesn't mean that that can't be mm. like used improperly mm -hmm. as well. Yes. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Yeah. This has been so amazing, Jai. <laughs> Thanks. Thank Thanks for having me. Thank on your you so much podcast. for coming. I was, yeah, I was feeling into, um, I think you're, you're my third guest and my, my rebrand yeah, coming right. back. And I was just feeling that this would be a long shot to reach out to you and see if I could get you on. But yeah. that's amazing. You just happen to be coming into town I and know. being a yes to this. So thank you for offering I'm so grateful. us. Yeah, offering us such beautiful wisdom today. And your again, I can't sing your praises enough for what that you what you offer and what you teach and how you teach it and the music and the artistry and the depth. Thank you. So is there anything you want to share about something going on that people can join? Life Force Academy, we always got something going you on. You do. And, you know, we have so, so much great things in every week, uh, it really on demand all the time. Like what we've tried to do with Life Force Academy is to create a way that people can tap into this stuff and use the practices and get inside the teachings in any time. And, but then every week I'm teaching live in there. Mm -hmm. uh, we have every year just incredible immersions where a lot of the amazing music that people hear in the classes, it gets created at those where we have mm. um, all the musician, the extraordinary artists, musicians I get to work with, um, including Simra and her whole band, primarily Simra and her whole band. We may, we do a couple of these immersions per year. And if you can ever get to one, try. We will. Because yeah. they are, uh, um, they are, 
they are fun mm. and fantastic. And there's a lot of magic that happens. So, but then, you know, we have people doing this stuff every week all over the world needs no mm. traveling necessary. And, um, yeah, we have courses on Kundalini yoga. We have us on the yogic astrology, etc. We have all sorts of stuff. Yes, people can so just check things. it out. Yeah. So yeah. many beautiful things. Yeah. I'll make sure to put the links on the show notes for yeah. this. Sweet. Yeah, thank you so much for for joining us again. Such You're a treat. You're so welcome. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Be sure to check out the video on YouTube. We're also on Spotify and iTunes. And if you really, really, really loved it, we would love a five-star review on the Madeline Moon Show on iTunes or Spotify. We will see you for another episode next month.